0: once again to the one-to-one podcast with our priest on a mission, Father Dan Leary. I'm your host, Kevin Wells, with my guest, Father Dan Leary. So the name one-to-one comes from the words of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz, Father Al. He said, when you're confronted with a child who is sick, you cannot be indifferent. You have to help this individual on a one-to-one, a person-to-person basis. Welcome, Father Dan.
1: Hey, great, Kevin. It's, it's great to be back again.
0: Awesome to have you. Uh, listen, so I, I was talking to a friend last night, and believe it or not, I got to thinking about you. And it's going to be a twisted, sort of uh, circuitous way to Father Dan. But here's here's what happened. So Cal Ripken lives in Annapolis now, and I got a buddy who lives in Annapolis, and he saw him. I think it was at the grocery store or something. And he's like, "Hey, Kevin, man, you don't see any heroes anymore. You know, I saw Ripken, and I'm like, I miss I miss my boy Ripken." And and I was thinking, we got to talking about the Orioles and the good old days. And as you know, Father Dan, I used to be a baseball writer, and I actually interviewed Cal and several times. And, and we were talking about the guy who replaced Ripken. No one ever talks about him because who cares about whoever is replacing Cal is going to be forgotten anyway. So Ripken plays 20 years at shortstop. He's the Iron Man. And this, this poor guy named Mike Bordick comes in. And and, uh, and, and, he, and he steps in for a paragon, for a legend, a guy who's a Hall of Famer. And and everyone's like, oh, no, 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 you can't take Cal out of the game. But, you know, Cal got old, so things go on. So it got me to thinking about heroes and legends. You're certainly not one of them, Father Dan. I don't want to blow smoke up your cassock <laughs> it's, not, it's not about you. This is about the guy. You're the Mike Bordick who stepped in for the paragon. <laughs> venerable Aloysius Schwartz on the path of sainthood. So it got me to thinking, what in the world does it feel like to be the first really, the first full-time chaplain since Father Al passed from ALS in 92? What's it feel like to step in to the shoes of a paragon?
1: Well, uh, thanks for that lead up. Um, No problem. Thanks thanks for that compliment. I I don't know. The only thing I could think about is when I was a little boy, I tried on my old man's shoes and I had size two feet and the old man had size 10 or whatever. And you walk around the house. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Yeah. You know what? My dad's shoes. Get out of here. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, you punk my dad's shoes. Go ahead. So I just remember thinking to myself, man, like, like, gosh, these don't fit, you know, being down here on the holy ground when Schwartz came down here is in Mexico and Chalco is it's overwhelming. There's a great challenge to it. There's a great mystery to it. You know, I'm reading his books and rereading his books and uh, his life is intensely inspiring. Um, And so you know, I look for confirmations that what I'm doing is what Father Al would, want to have, would have done himself. Things like, you know, spending a lot of time in the confessional. I think that's where I meet Father Al, offering the masses, giving spiritual talks to the sisters. Um, we're years apart, graces apart, so to speak, also, obviously. But I'll tell you, there's a certain grace in it as well that— Knowing that where I'm walking or what I'm doing, it's, it's all united to the one priesthood of Christ, which Father Al believed in. Um, he always had a great love for his own priesthood, his own ministry. Um, and he was always, that's what the vehicle was, his priesthood. Um, so I, I am the Mike Bordick. I, uh, I'm simply just kind of following this holy man. not only was holy, but he suffered in a holy way. So it's a little bit overwhelming, but there's a certain freedom because when you follow somebody that good, you know you you can't be that good. So there's a lot less pressure. (laughs)
0: Right. I I get that. And that's exactly what Bordick said. You know, 20 years ago, he said, look, I'm stepping in for a legend. You guys you guys were used to seeing a guy take the field every day that was going to perform. All I can do is my best. So it's kind of the same thing you just said. And and I'm wondering in a, in sort of a mystical way uh, or, or just a, uh, I don't know how to put it, but is there anything in your readings of father Al where you're like, Hey, hold on, that's me. You know, I, I kinda, I kinda get it. I see, I see where he was and, and that lives in me too, as sort of an icon. I, that's going to be easy for me to do.
1: We, we line up there. Is there anything that jumps out at you? Yeah. You know, what, what Father Al did was he simply took the Gospels and he boiled it down and he cut away all the articles and the description. And he said, what did Jesus do? Well, he fed them. He, he clothed them. He raised the dead. And it was always with an intention for something deeper, to love God the Father. So in my readings, I'm able to just keep an eye on that target is, is this supernatural? Is this godly centered? And in that sense, there is a sense of unity. Um, Of course, sacramentally, there's a unity, of course, in in serving the children and serving the sisters. So um, I find many echoes. Also, you know, I'm learning more about Our Lady Virgin of the Poor, um, and I did, I did not have a huge devotion to her before, but I'm learning more about her. You know, I was always Guadalupe, Lords. So, um, I'm finding communion in Christ and Our Lady with Father Al and through the church, through the sacraments, actually. Awesome. That's beautiful. I, um, you know, I, I think, I think one of the
0: reasons I, I bring up Ripken and Bordick is, uh, you know, last podcast you started to dive deep into shame and and I'm thinking about I think I think we had mentioned that a bunch of girls were coming in from all over Mexico um, you know last week you know their arrivals on this bus and 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 you know it because you've seen it you hear it in confessionals time after time after time so many of these girls traveled last week on these eight-hour bus trips carrying this ghost this siamese twin of shame so so um i, I guess
1: right away that's going to be something you're going to look to unpack yeah well you know that last week you, it's hard to describe like this the process is amazing they come in some parents come in the sisters have to be very COVID safe the girls go into a secure place these stalls these outside stalls where they change they put on their uniforms, they hand over their old clothing, and they, they're bussed down to their, new, to, to their new dormitory for two weeks. They've been in the dorm now for about a week with the sisters working through the quarantine. So an unusually complicated process is doubly complicated. And for the folks in the States, they took in over 800 girls. Okay, wow. so the wow. girls came from all over Mexico, really rough places—Veracruz, Guerrero, uh, really tough places. I saw the girls. You know, they come in in their sort of their cultural dress, and then after some time, they they change into the little gym uniform, little colors. Their color of, of that of that second of the new grade is blue, and so it's a real process of grace. Um, so, yeah, like they don't arrive with much stuff. I think they start kind of from scratch all the way up, so to speak, uh, turning over all the clothing. And uh, yeah, they don't have stuff. But I think there's a lot of ghosts, as you called it, the baggage of shame that, uh, that these girls bring, you know.
0: Well, well, f- before we even dive into how you're going to address, you know, the new girls in town and, and sort of trying to lead them. Uh, to that peace and inner joy that comes from knowing Christ and, and shedding the shame. Just get, give me an idea and give the listeners an idea. Uh, and let's forget about, you know, your role as a missionary priest, but even as a kid growing up or maybe a teenager, college kids, or even a priest in D.C., give, give me an example, a personal example of maybe you've
1: how you've had to confront shame and, and, and overcome it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we had the we had the gifted Irish Catholic family, so we had a lot of social parties going on, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. You know, we had the accordion going on every once in a while on St. Patty's Day. We had the nine-day novena of drinking. And so what I recognized pretty early is that, you know, just sort of the, the shame of some of the drinking and some of the stuff they had to confront in my own life, even in, in my own family, I saw so much courage in many ways with... Um, with the challenge of my, my family kind of working through their struggles, uh, particularly the one that came to mind is my dad. He was really heroic in many ways, many struggles. Um, but I also think that with some of the drinking came uh, a great sense of shame. Um, you know, it is a sickness. Um, but then from there comes my own decisions. And those decisions produce another form of shame, a layered shame, I could call it, which is the result of my own choices, but maybe the environment in which I grew up. So shame is multi-layered in many respects.
0: Sure, sure. Well, just like Bordic had to separate himself from Ripkin, how do you, or how did you back then begin to take on that multi-layered uh, level of shame, how do you separate yourself from it? How do you separate the girls from their shame? How do you work
1: to overcome it? Well, first, I guess, I guess what we have to recognize is what is the shame? You know, um, What I'm seeing is this. There's two avenues of this that it comes in. It comes in through the choices of sin that we make, and then the choices of sin that people make against us. And the former, the the sins that we choose, those are are the, the shame that, yeah, we confess it. But there's this inherent voice against us that sort of cripples us in many respects, attacks us, and whispers into our ears, so to speak, really into our hearts, our minds, that choice will never be forgiven or that choice will never be forgotten by God. And I think we speak of this even in the Catholic Church in many ways. And there's a certain re- there's certain grace to it when we talk about reparation. Uh, but there's a certain burden that goes with it, unless we're very clear in help people discern. The secondly, is the choices that people make against us. You know, the sins of others that burden us. And you know my my experience more down here than ever. Is that when it comes to the sin, we can confess the sin. But what I don't think I ever did as a, and really well in the states, maybe, is liberating people from the monkey on their back, that that shame, because they can't see it, but they know it's there. And the the reality, and I guess I'm kind of speaking to the listeners, is it. It gives a new name, you know, like you're broken or you're needy or, you know, one person I remember said, I feel so messy. (laughs) And um, that was obviously a mom because that's a mom word. But, you know, um, and so what happens is it gets into this self-blame. And then that whole process of forgiveness of self, lacking that confidence, lacking that sense of identity. I mean, it's like there's like these symptoms, you know, like. It becomes sad. You become shameful. You have this, in, this, this inner voice of anger or defensiveness. And what happens is, okay, so I confess the sin. But if I don't ever really bring out the wound in me, you know, and that's where I'm kind of navigating the girls and my talks to them. If I don't ever bring out the wound, then I go into the confessional with the shame. Let's say, I, let's say a person went through trauma abuse, or sexual sins as a little kid or whatever, and they touched or whatever, or even as a young kid, young teenager, or anybody really. But what happens is I go into the confessional with shame. I confess my sins, although it's not necessarily a sin if somebody abused me. But if I don't ever open it up, I come out of the confessional liberated from my sins, but I still have the monkey on my back. And the evil one knows that because he sees the inherent reactions. So what happens is we just go back into this whole voice, this inner conversation. And I mean we become really like the crazy Irishman where we just start, everything's my fault, my fault. I did something wrong. It's irreparable and it becomes a skipping record. Um, so, what I'm diving in with the kiddos, generally, this is my talk to them, not in the box, is, look, here's how you go to confession, bless me, Father. They do it a little bit different down here um, in the Latino community. They, you know, you go through the process, bless me, Father, five sins, Ave Maria Praissima. Like, and then they make their response, and then it's been five months or six years or 25 years or whatever it's not that long since my last confession, here are my sins, then the list. And then I told them that I would ask them general questions like, okay, is there anything else you want to talk about? Is there anything in your heart that's causing you pain? And that is the window for the kiddos to open up and share, a lot of times, stuff that maybe they've never shared. You know, kids come up after the talk and, you know, there's, four or five or 20 of them around me and they got their mask on and they're all talking at the same time i mean there is absolutely no chance that i have any idea what anybody's saying at that time. <laughs> there's zero
0: well what you do it sounds like what you do is when you crack open the conversation and they and they cough out what is the shame you actually grab it hold it up for them to see and what i imagine you do is you say this, this thing's got to die. And and we're going to, we're going to walk together and and we're going to kill it because now you actually have it. They can see it. They can look at it and you can, you can tell them what a lie it is. So, so really we go back to this, to this pivotal um,
1: sacrament of confession. That's, that's sort of where all the healing takes place. Yeah, totally. Kevin, I told them that I would ask them, this question that I think it gives them an inner authority. I told the girls when I was giving them each a, a talk, like an, a group talk of 500 or something, each class, I said, I'm going to ask you a question, girls. Do you want to heal? Yeah. yeah. And, and that question of authority. Yes, Father. Starts the process of liberation. Yep. Yep. That is. And another and another analogy, just briefly, I told them, and they really got this. I said, imagine a thief broke into your house and flipped everything upside down. It's not enough just to kick the thief out. You have to restore everything. And you have to put the lamp back on the table and you have to... You have to paint the wall that was spray painted, you're stupid, you're unlovable, whatever is the word. And that's the process of visiting the chapel, or praying their rosary. So, you know, really what it is, is typically shame is the thief of the evil one that tries to rename the child. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's why the process of giving them authority to, to, to call it out what it is, you are undignified. Um, is immensely liberating, and when I say, "Do you want to heal?" Then, uh, then they start the process because they realize this will not label me for the rest of my life.
0: Boy, oh, boy! That—that uh, that, w- what a question. Do you want to heal? There, there is there is so much power and authority in that, and and we all could use that in, in our own, um, you know, in our own lives, in our own worlds. And, and but I'm wondering. So as they start that process, because they do want to heal, so you have like uh, maybe Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Jekyll, Jekyll's the, the, the wreck who, who's just been tortured by shame. How do you know that Hyde is the one who finally shook it? What do you see in that person where you say, you know what, it's no longer there?
1: Well, yeah, there's, there is a process because in this In this case, I'm dealing with girls that are young, and so they're going through their typical hormonal changes and high school stuff, okay? So there's a certain flexibility with that. But I have been teaching them how to discern a little bit what's natural, what's hormonal, so to speak, what's, you know, just part of their body stuff, you know? And they get it, they smile, they giggle, and I I said, okay. And part of the rejection. um, The process, generally, I think is first you have to recognize what is the shame and then call it out as best as you can. It's layered. And sometimes we don't always get to the bottom of it. Like a kid who's impatient might have been rejected by their father. Okay. And so they're always impatient, but that's because they're impatient with wanting to heal that relationship with their father. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's, and if you can, if, if a priest or someone can navigate them to that place, you can really show them in that impatience is love. It's yeah. real love, but they're expressing it in a really bad way. I can't tell you how many times people have come in and, and talked to me and told me sins, but at the bottom of it is actual love. But it just comes out in a rotten way.
0: Yeah, you're, you're getting to some deep spiritual Uh, healing there some psychological healing that's that's uh that christ touches i that's that's gorgeous what you just shared i i you know and and i think that um some of the some of the deep-seated issues that even the church has now that's been exposed uh through through the sins of cardinals or bishops or or um uh some of the church leaders really what it might be is they've never found a way to get rid of the shame or the pain. So they're really, they're, they're not, in a certain way, they're not the fullness of the, the
1: sister or the priest or the bishop that they've been called to be. Yeah, I totally I totally get that um, and agree with you 100%. I mean, it took a while for me to process it and get to it. Many retreats, a lot of healing. Um, absolutely. I believe that um, until we get to the inherent core of my identity, I mean, I can look in my own life and see that I served not necessarily lightly, freely. I served a, in a good way, um, in a tr- sacrificial way, but in a selfishly sacrificial way, you know, um, because we're looking to get the monkey off the back. Yeah. yeah. And so until every Catholic kind of goes deeper and tries to, with the grace of the Spirit, adoration, confession, Really asking the Holy Spirit, what is this stinking monkey? Okay. Until that gets there. And again, you know, you're labeled a child of God in baptism. But at the same time, there is the devil immediately comes in and says, I got to take that label off. I got to take that name out of her or him. It isn't even a label on the chest, so to speak, it's an identity. And the whole process of the evil one is to re-identify that soul.
0: Uh, yep, that's a, that's precisely what happens. You know, so you want to get rid of the shame, and you want to take the steps, and really, you want to do that—that that old uh, Saint Anthony of the Desert. I want to die to myself to be with God. But essentially, it it, it takes it takes work. I mean, it takes growing work, uh, day by day week by week to get rid of the shame. You can't just die to yourself
1: until you get rid of the, as you call them, the thief, the burglar. Yeah, I, it, it is. And at the same time, it's a paradox in this respect. It's also the work of the Holy Spirit. So God desires that. God wants that. The process, I think, is to unlearn the shame. Like you can't forget the shame. But it has to be restored in the identity of Christ. So yeah. I can't just say, oh, I never had that struggle in my past. That's ridiculous. That does, that's a lie to myself. And that's another form of shame, which I've already done for, you know what I mean? Shame lies to myself. Sure. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really beautiful. And with my Spanish, which really stinks, it's kind of a comical conversation. <laughs> Father get get to work in the
0: Spanish, brother. Come on. Take it. That's that's the, that's the thing you need to overcome. Where's the shame
1: there? Dude, I'm trying, okay? I was always a C student. All right, I'm going to let you in on this one. There were like 50 guys in my seminary class. I think if we put the GPAs together, I was like forty-four. I was, <laughs> seriously, I was the John Reagan surpri- of class. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, Father, because <laughs> you were always praying, right?
0: You you weren't studying; you were praying. That's probably why. So, probably. L- listen, we've we've gone over our limit here. Now, before before we go, thank you for that treatise on shame. Boy, I hope a lot of people get a chance to to hear your words because they're true, they're powerful, and they're beautiful. So, um, but I do want you to share if you get a minute about this, um. This version of the poor society—that's another another aspect of world villages for children—that is beautiful.
1: Well, what I'm what I'm trying to do is develop the the, um, the voice of Father Al to the modern day Catholic to let them know that he has a place in the culture, and trying to help people realize like this guy that will be canonized one day as a saint, that you know left the D.C. area in '57, so to speak earlier. So when he went to Louvain to study, he is still very, very modern in his message. So the Virgin of the Poor is really helping people to kind of understand his work, his words. Um, I'm trying to digest them and then give them back in a modern day of um, understanding. I'm giving talks, tons of talks to the sisters. There's there's professed sisters, there's novices, there's aspirants, there's candidates. So every time I turn around, I've got a request, um, and so I'm really diving in to understanding his voice. And so what I'm going to do is start then applying those words in the Virgin of the Poor Society to the lay people, and the words of Father out to the lay people, so that they can really participate. So I really think. If you want to find out more about Father Al or even kind of understand what I'm doing, participating in the Father Al Society through the World Villages will give you an opportunity to really say, wow, this is amazing. I mean, really, 800 kids on campus last week coming in in buses. I mean, there were like 14 buses all lined up, you know, coming in. I mean, it, it, seriously, it's like it's it's uh, it was like a football game.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's field of dreams. It's all the cars lined up to, to get to get through the gates of Chalco. It's, it's a beautiful scene. Now, yeah. thank you for sharing that about the version of poor society. Go, let's go to worldvillages.org. Uh, it's right at the top. You can click on. You can read all about it. It's actually a beautiful society. All right, Bordick. It was good. To, it was good to hear your. Uh, it's good to hear your <laughs> reflections. Ripkins, right around the bend. Just keep on striving. Keep on praying. It's going to come one day. No so way. before. <laughs> so before before we let you go father Bo- i mean father dan uh,
1: <laughs> lead us out in prayer if you don't mind yeah it's great to be with you folks look uh, i guess i've never really been a bench warmer but i am now but um anyway anyway i'll keep plugging along keep us in your prayers um the sisters are really sacrificing to keep these little girls down here guadalajara took in over 500 boys and um, they're really making sure that these little guys that come in, not only with COVID, but other kind of illnesses, um, a lot of things that are new for the girls and boys, you know, having your own toothbrush and all that stuff. Um, it's just a whole process. Like, you really have to teach them everything, how to clean, how to clean oneself. It's, it's immensely beautiful. Um, so let me bless you. May the Lord bless you, protect you. May the Lord let His face shine upon you, and through the intercession of Our Lady, Virgin of the Poor, may Almighty God bless you, Father Son, Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Thank you, Father. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Peace.
1: You've been listening to the One to One podcast with Father Dan Leary and Kevin Wells. If you want to learn more about the founder, Father Al, or how to support Father Dan's mission and the Sisters of Mary's mission head on over to worldvillages.org and to follow more podcast episodes, go ahead and subscribe, like, share this podcast so more people can find out about the goodness coming out of these awesome conversations. For more podcasts and podcasts just like it, head on over to holyruckus.com. Thanks so much.